Why would a man leave his apartment three times on a rainy night with a suitcase and come back three times? Mm. That's where his wife welcomes him home. No, 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 no. No, no, not, not this salesman's wife. Why didn't he go to work today? Homework. It's more interesting. Mm. What's, what's interesting about a butcher knife and a small saw wrapped in newspaper, mm. huh? Nothing so clever. Why hasn't he been in his wife's bedroom all day? Mm. I wouldn't dare answer that. Listen. I'll answer, Lisa. There's, there's, there's something terribly wrong. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 152, Rear Window. Try it. I'm almost exhausted from our pre-show talk today and returning from being on the road for three weeks. Yeah, well, you finally saw Avengers Endgame. That's right. So we had had to talk about it. (laughs) Watched it on a plane. For us being on the cutting edge of movies and doing a movie podcast, we're only, what, four months late on the Endgame talk. Well, I only piss people off every other episode when I mention that I'm not that into the Avenger movies. Yeah, well, neither am I, so right. they can be pissed at me, too. Okay. I mean, I'll watch them, but I, I mean, I don't care. You did that thing, all. though, where you like avoided it for so long, and then all of a sudden you just decided to I dive in. I binged them all last yeah, summer. Right. After seeing Infinity War first, and then going back and rewatching <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. Movie Pass. That's right. That was the dying days oh, of yeah. Movie Pass. Next thing I know, we're going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp. So did I. Was that last summer? I think so. Oh my god, I, it's just hard to believe that was like over a year I don't know ago. what happened to this year, to be honest. I know. Well, yeah. I, I feel like that for the past decade, really. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, so we should get into it. It's the first time we've done an Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah, this is feels like a crazy kind of halt and like shake-up thing for us right here, going like, I know what you did last summer, two big Pulp Fiction episodes, and now we're getting to a Alfred Hitchcock movie. Well, this is something that was on the schedule, I think, back in the winter or spring, and we ended up shuffling things around and doing yeah. something else. And I mentioned that we would get to a Hitchcock movie eventually. This just so happens to fall right between Alfred Hitchcock's 120th birthday and the wow. 65th Still anniversary alive. of this film. What made you pick this one? Obviously, I had never seen this until I watched it for us recording this, so... I'm thinking, like, if we're doing a Hitchcock movie, the obvious one that comes to mind is Psycho. Well, we did Psycho (laughs) 2 already. That's true, yeah. Well, Psycho is really obvious. Too obvious, yeah. I don't know. I I would say that Rear Window might be my favorite Hitchcock movie. I will say. But I haven't seen enough, probably, to make an educated declaration uh, there. Was happy you picked this. Did really like it. 
Yeah, it's considered one of his best films. It's it's in the AFI top 100. Yeah. It's probably not as influential as Psycho, but it's very influential. And it's probably not as critically acclaimed as Vertigo, but it's very critically acclaimed. It's probably True. in his top three or four for most people, I yeah. would imagine. You know, some people like the older stuff, like Rebecca or... I like Whatever. it, um, you know, because I often think about most of Hitchcock movies being in black and white, so it's kind of like a a pleasant experience to pop it in and have it be something in color. Is this all filmed on a soundstage? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That plays into the whole thing, the whole building of the atmosphere, right. all of the natural sound that they would use. Unlike most Hitchcock films, there's not really a score to this film. There's yeah. music at the beginning and then at the end. Well, of course, you know, we didn't do it that long ago, but now I'm just like oddly associating all this Hitchcock stuff with uh, Brian De Palma. Yeah. Y- you know, you're kind of doing working backwards on that, being like, oh, yeah, okay, blowout, I get it. Yeah, and this was obviously the inspiration for... Body Double? The classic film, Disturbia. Oh, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf? Starring Shia LaBeouf. Vehicle, yeah. Which my, I saw at the drive-in, by the way. My favorite Disturbia fun fact is that every time I think about that movie, I'll be like, who was the girl in that? And I'll so, look it up, and then I'll never remember, because she was never really in oh, yeah. much else. I remember the movie pretty clearly. I feel like I saw it twice in the theater somehow. Wow. Yeah. Not like out of, I need to see this again. I used to really enjoy going to the drive-in over the summer, and I know I saw this there. I probably saw it in the theater and then saw it at the drive-in when I was seeing something else. Yeah. So I guess the house arrest, ankle bracelet, uh, a nod to D.B. Jeffries' leg injury. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the same idea where you have to have a main character who's kind of limited in what they can do. And then you have them take on this voyeuristic personality and then they oversee something. But because of whatever their limitation is, they, they can't really participate in it. And who doesn't enjoy a little voyeurism yeah and that's one of the big ideas of the film is the ethics of that and the danger you put yourself in when you explore the private lives of others and then of course because of what happens in the film it's like a moral question of like well do the ends justify the means some giant windows in this movie by the way (laughs) db jeffries like i mean it's just like a giant bay window basically out his back yeah back of his apartment Okay, so this film came out in 1954. Obviously, we're talking about the original Hitchcock and not the made-for-TV remake that I think Christopher Reeves was in? That I'm sure everyone is familiar with. (laughs) I have no idea what that is. Well, I think it was was just like a a TV miniseries or or a TV movie with Christopher Reeves. It was written by John Michael Hayes based on a short story by Cornell Woolrich starring Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. Yeah, and I certainly have some thoughts on Grace Kelly, but you know maybe we can talk about it as it relates to the Lisa character. Yeah. Oof. The interesting thing about the Oof. short story is they don't reveal until the last line of the story that the main character has a broken leg. Oh, okay. That is so I guess that the setup is different, so you don't know why they don't. Yeah. They, they can't do anything. Certainly are laying it on more thick in this, in the sense that he has a a nurse that the insurance company sent. Uh, this seems like a Something, yeah. you know, this really jumped out to me. <laughs> it's from another era. Yeah, it doesn't feel practical, but. Yeah. Uh, I do like her, though. Stella. She's a real uh, spitfire. 
Yeah, as I mentioned, 65th anniversary of this film coming up in September. Hitchcock's birthday was a couple of weeks ago. He was born in 1899, so that would make him 120. Wow. Yeah. By most accounts, everyone was crazy about Grace Kelly. According to Jimmy Stewart, everyone just sat around and waited for her to come in the morning so we could just look at her. <laughs> she was kind to everybody, so considerate, just great, and so beautiful. Yeah, it is stunning. I mean, she might be my new number one of all time. I would say she's most known for her collaborations with Hitchcock, To Catch a Thief, and Dial M for Murder, and then this, and then yeah. also High Noon. And we were talking before we started recording that she only acted for two more years Yeah. after this. What a shame. Yeah. Good for her, though. And she's she considerably younger than Jimmy Stewart in the movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, it like reminds me of someone from a more modern era, but I, cu- I couldn't put my finger on it the whole time. <laughs> Someday, it's one of those things that'll hit me one day that I'll be like, oh, he sounds like someone to me. He has a very distinct voice. Well, I always think about all of the people that do Jimmy Stewart impressions, because it's true. a pretty common one, like Dana point. Carvey or yeah. whatever. As I said, it was in the AFI Top 100, four Academy Award nominations. It was a box office success, considered one of Hitchcock's best so, since this was your first time seeing it, do you think it's worthy of those accolades? Do you think it lives up to the reputation? I was certainly into it. For me, it usually takes me a few viewings to consider something as one of the all-time greats, but uh, I certainly want to watch this again. Stylistically, it's unique. It has that classic Hitchcock sort of weird suspense vibe to it. Yeah, I think one thing, especially when you're dealing with something like Hitchcock or the classic films of 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, sometimes you don't realize that what you're watching is the first time that yeah. those things have been done. So it's like sometimes you f- it feels familiar. It feels like stuff you've seen before, but you're not realizing that everything you've seen was influenced by this. Like this is the first right. thing to do these What things. I was really loving in this movie and what – it kind of felt like swerves for me that I wasn't really expecting was after our hero, Jeff, D.B. Jeffries, gets so hung up in this tale that's going on with the, the neighbor. And, you know, we have our skeptical Stella and Lisa characters. I love that the two of them get so sucked in on this as well. <laughs> I, I wasn't really expecting it to go that way, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about it in the Nightmare on Elm Street episode, the common trope in horror films of the nobody believes me because it's so crazy type thing. And you have that moment in this movie when he's first coming to the conclusion that his neighbor potentially murdered his wife and his policeman friend definitely fits that skeptic role. Oh yeah. But yeah. He's like, you don't really believe in murder, do you? Lisa and Stella jump on board pretty quick. Yeah. (laughs) Which makes more sense because He's able to build this case. He's able to give compelling evidence. And then they're there so much right. that they see some of the things that he sees. And I think it makes more sense to have characters be influenced by the magnetism of the main character. You want to know what I was really enjoying about this movie, though? It it made me long for a time that doesn't exist. And not just because of how old it is. Like Even something that I feel like existed in our lives to a degree where it's not this age of the internet, age of being connected to things all the time, where he's just home for several weeks with nothing to do. (laughs) And you could just like 
sit and stare out your window. It, it, there was something almost relaxing about that to me. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a slower pace to people's lives yeah. in this time period. Right. Which I long for a little bit. Yeah. There's not as much noise, you know. There's yeah, yeah. Not the constant interaction with the internet. And also, I just liked how he has like nothing going on for like a long period of time. Weeks of nothing to do. I, can you imagine? Something else that jumps out is the potential for scandal at the idea that she might stay overnight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. And not just societal scandal to the point where they're talking about having to like tell his landlord. I mean, I don't know what they're going for age wise <laughs> yeah, for Jeff, but like he's an actor There's in his a lot like, of gray. mid 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of gray. It's just a completely different concept, just the idea of how chaste everything is. Well, I do love, and I, I'm sure that this had to be on your mind that we're going to talk about this, but uh, I mean, his lack of interest in dating Lisa. <laughs> who is just like this stunning beauty and also seemingly like a down-to-earth, a perfect woman. It's insane. (laughs) They could not have made Grace Kelly's character any more appealing of a human being, and yet he's just like not that into it. (laughs) It's like, can you get out of here, please? Like, stop over for a little bit, but... It's not even like they could go for like, well, he's young and he maybe wants to still... You know, so some wild oats. It's like, a little bit. <laughs> what yeah. is he waiting for? He's 48 years old. Yeah, laying around <laughs> with like a broken leg for like eight weeks. And she's just like dropping by to see him. Yeah, and that's the thing. This movie is essentially a romance wrapped up in this whole other story about the murder and the voyeurism and everything. But it's the story of these two becoming closer and him falling in love with her for real. Yeah. Now, I think if they remade this movie today, they would potentially want to switch the male and female characters or something because they do essentially make her so perfect it's ridiculous and why is she doing all of these things to appease this person that's maybe not like a a bad guy but he's not that interested it's like what the modern version of it is like helen mirren with a broken leg chris hemsworth (laughs) is dropping by every i was literally thinking of chris hemsworth (laughs) same reference point as you pointed out, this was shot entirely at Paramount Studios on a set that they built. It's an interesting neighborhood look. Obviously, we're in some neighborhood in Manhattan. It's supposed to be like Greenwich Village. But it, it's kind of hard to get a feel for like what the wealth situation is because it feels like he's got a nice apartment. What he's looking yeah. at, this courtyard I mean, I guess he's like, supposed to be like a somewhat high-profile photographer yeah it seems like he's successful obviously you can't attract a socialite like lisa if you're just a scumbag i mean (laughs) just a worthless loser i mean in addition to her being the best looking woman of all time she's also the most popular the nicest kindest sweetest woman of all time she's also super rich right like the richest girl in new york city (laughs) (laughs) but it's so absurd i mean you look around at what's going on in this neighborhood that surrounds this courtyard. Yeah. I mean, there's literally a couple that sleeps out on their, like, fucking balcony. Well, central air wasn't, like, a thing. Because this is supposed to be, like, such an incredible it, heat wave. I still associate sleeping on your balcony with poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of like the circumstances in the apartment. Yeah. Where the main character in that is kind of a... 
a low You're right. to middle guy and at this place. Nice and he yeah. has this great apartment and this great location. It just was like things were different. I get it. I think there's more of a mixed crowd going on here. Because you could say, well, Jeff and maybe that composer guy and yeah. maybe someone else. like They might be more well-to-do. Like but the then neighbors- there's Miss Lonely Hearts who... Yeah. Where is she getting money? Exactly. They're all kind of mixed together there. Which I do also, while we're touching on all the neighbors, I thoroughly enjoy the saga of Miss Torso. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's almost shocking when in the opening sequence. Right. I was thinking this too. This is a PG movie. Where she just like, yeah, I mean, it's not like you see anything. I know, but it's still sexually suggestive. Yeah. In 54, she's trying to put her top on and drops it. (laughs) <laughs> so she's topless from behind and then like bends over and it's just like oh my god yeah it's like good <laughs> lord <laughs> yeah and her whole story plays out in a very funny way where right. she has like all these suitors and then yeah her man comes back from the army and he's it's like so- shorter than her oh, <laughs> and boy. she's like not tall at all right. it's just like it's kind of a sweet little ending that kind of brings me to another point which is okay the movie has like a lot of humor in it oh for sure the three main characters, Jeff, Lisa, and Stella, they all have wisecracks just oh, like I in know. the back pocket they're, at all times. Right. I mean, they're basically just a <laughs> bunch of ball busters. <laughs> okay. So on this set, it was a highly nuanced lighting system. They used all of that real right. natural sound. The camera is like moving around like very rapidly. Yeah. That you know? opening shot is pretty iconic because, again, this was something that people weren't really seeing in 1954 the way that they were doing it was everybody except for like the main people that you saw up close like all the neighbors and all the different windows and yes. places they all had like earpieces in and hitchcock would tell them what to do gotcha and so he would direct that way so that they could kind of all, almost perform this like a play like it was all just ongoing well it does feel like a play at times and miss torso would the actress would just kind of like hang out there. Like she almost like lived in that apartment while they were filming. Oh, wow. I mean, everyone was just kind of like being there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that couple that slept on their little balcony, when the rain starts, Hitchcock's telling the man to pull the mattress one way and the woman to pull it the other way. So that's why they're like struggling and they don't know what they're doing. And it all looks very natural. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, yes, you very much get a feel like this movie is from another time certainly does have the feeling of a play but it is something that you're just like this is just not how they would make a movie now i don't really think they would build this elaborate set oh, it would, it would be like so. way more expensive to do right but now. even that yeah. directing style that you're speaking of it just doesn't seem like something yeah that you would hear about now so the movie is basically if you want to break it down it, it it's about voyeurism and a very primitive idea of this need this thirst for sex, drama, violence in the lives of friends and neighbors. And I do think that this movie is very applicable to (laughs) the way we are today. But we do it differently now. Obviously, the introduction of reality television or people streaming themselves or tweeting or Instagram or whatever, like people are living their lives online. You don't really have to look out your window, but the idea is still the same. And there's this sick part of you, and it, it might be a part of Jeff as well, that you want something to happen because that makes it more entertaining. Yeah. And yes, it I ends up it. costing the life of this poor woman. I'm kind of at a point where I want Jeff's life right before we get to the movie, where it's just been like eight weeks of nothing, <laughs> you know? 
just Lisa showing up with all this great food. Yeah, and that dress great every body. night. Yeah. <laughs> that great body. <laughs> New York State sentence for a peeping Tom is six months in the workhouse. Oh, hello, Scott. They got no windows in the workhouse. You know, in the old days, they used to put your eyes out with a red-hot poker. Any of those bikini bombshells you're always watching worth a red-hot poker? Oh, dear. We become a race of peeping Toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. Yes, sir. How's that for a bit of homespun philosophy? And then, of course, how it plays out is all typical Hitchcock. It's meticulously crafted suspense. And because of the way that the movie is set up, we ourselves have become the voyeur alongside Jeff. And so we are now invested in watching what happens. And when the consequences come in, there's this heightened sense of dread because yeah, almost like an anxiety. To yeah, it. because you now you feel how Jeff feels, which is like they set up the situation by the end of the film where he's helpless to do anything while all of these things are happening. And this woman that he now cares about, Lisa, is in potential danger and all these different things. And he's yeah. just like sitting there. So we spoke about Stella's sort of profession and the fact that she's filling this role as a nurse who comes to check up on him seemingly daily but aside from just like checking in making sure he's because he can't really move around on this broken leg but i just think you know she's really going above and beyond here like really almost full body massage happening well, maybe she's a massage therapist yeah i get you know <laughs> he must have great insurance i would think to get this sort of treatment yeah <laughs> You know, I think you're right. I think there is going to be trouble around here. I knew it. Oh, do you, do you ever hate that stuff? Gives your circulation something to fight. Oh, I see. What kind of trouble? Laser frame one. You kidding? She's a beautiful young girl, and you're a reasonably healthy young man. She expects me to marry her. That's normal. I don't want to. What's abnormal? Oh, I just, I'm not ready for marriage. Every man's ready for marriage when the right girl comes along. And Lisa Fremont is the right girl for any man with half a brain who can get one eye open. Oh, she's all right. Did you do have a fight? No. Father loading up the shotgun? What? Please, stop it. It's happened before, you know. Some of the world's happiest marriages have uh, started under the gun, as you might say. No, she's just not the girl for me. Yeah, she's only perfect. She's too perfect. She's too talented. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's too everything but what I want. Is um, what you want something you can discuss? What? Well, it's very simple, Stella. She belongs to that rarefied atmosphere of Park Avenue, you know, expensive restaurants and the literary cocktail parties. People with sense belong wherever they're putting. Can you imagine her tramping around the world with a camera bum who never has more than a week's salary in the bank if, if she was only ordinary? You never gonna get married? Well, I'll probably get married. When I do, it's gonna be to someone who thinks of life not just just as a new dress and a lobster dinner and the latest scandal. I need a woman who's willing to, hold it, who's willing to go anywhere and do anything and love it. So the honest thing for me to do is just call the whole thing off, let her find somebody else. Yeah, I can hear you now. Get out of my life, you perfectly wonderful woman. You're too good for me. Let's talk about the story itself. L.B. Jeffries, a.k.a. Jeff, played by Jimmy Stewart, 
He's this adventurous professional photographer on the mend with a broken leg. He's stuck in his Greenwich Village apartment. To pass the time, Jeff spies on his neighbors through his rear window, which looks out onto a courtyard and other apartments. Among the participants in Jeff's daily distraction are Miss Torso, a dancer. Now, she was the only one that Hitchcock wouldn't direct. He basically told her to just improvise her dancing. Yeah. And he did not want her to train professionally. He wanted her to look like an amateur dancer, which she looked pretty professional to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a different time. You got to give Jeff credit, too, just kind of sitting around coming up with these names for everybody. (laughs) He's literally falling out of his wheelchair, like beating his dick, like watching her bend over. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just like his head is up on the windowsill and he's like on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) I think what they're trying to set up with the heat wave is that's the reason why everybody's windows are open. Yes. And I guess, you know, they don't want to put the curtains on. I I mean, it's kind of crazy to to think that everybody would just have their windows open like this but well i do think once we get to a certain point of the movie and jeff sort of gets caught it is like how did no one notice this sooner (laughs) just a giant window frame with like bright lights on well that's the thing like miss torso and and a lot of the other women like did notice right oh yeah (laughs) they're just like this creep but they kind of liked it at the same time he was pulling in fucking lisa no kidding come on in addition to Miss Torso, there's a single middle-aged woman that he calls Miss Lonely Hearts. There's a pianist. There's some married couples, including the newlyweds. There's a sculptor. And there's a man named Lars Thorwald, played by Raymond Burr. Okay. He's a jewelry salesman with a bedridden wife. And we see them arguing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and carrying on. I was thinking this composer guy would be like a rough neighbor to have. Yeah. It just seems like... Well, having him is kind of an interesting way to introduce naturalistic music floating across the courtyard. Yeah, I know, but you would think with everyone's windows open, this would get... Yeah, I mean, it would get annoying, but it also inadvertently provides Lisa with, like, her own theme song, because he's always playing that song when she shows up. (laughs) (laughs) He sees her walking in. He's like, till now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that would be awesome. So yeah, we're in the middle of this heat wave. Stella's coming in. She's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Marry this Lisa chick. It's never getting any better. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, literally I Stella's no like one better. The voice of the audience. <laughs> but she's also like jerking them off. Providing like hand relief. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's part of the insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Stella's just a good sport. Okay, so let's talk about Lisa, Jeff's socialite girlfriend, played by Grace Kelly. How's your leg? It hurts a little. And your stomach? Empty as a football. And do you love life? I'm not too active. Anything else bothering you? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Reading from top to bottom. Lisa. Carol. Fremont. Uh, is this the Lisa Fremont who never wears the same dress twice? Only because it's expected of her. 
Jeff somehow doesn't want to commit. Her first appearance. What else is there to say? Just very angelic. I know. Her face, just like the way they do it where he's like kind of nodded off and then all of a sudden oh, she's yeah, there she's and got, then like that face like swooping in. There's like a light that glows behind her. <laughs> yeah. Her beauty is almost like otherworldly. And obviously anybody who knows anything about Hitchcock knows that he loved an icy blonde, but... Don't we all? She's the least icy of his blondes. I think so. Like, she's very down-to-earth feeling. Okay. I don't know. I mean, despite like her incredible beauty, and then you know we know that she married a prince and all this stuff. Which and, is not very down-to-earth, yeah. And very uh, a larger-than-life iconic figure. Her presence in this well, film... Well, the Lisa character in particular feels very down-to-earth. Yeah, she feels... Like, that's what I mean. Like, her character in this film and she's her disarming. portrayal, it's almost like the opposite of what you would usually get from the leading lady in a Hitchcock film, like the blonde yeah. bombshell. I like her take on Miss Torso's busy apartment where she says that Miss Torso... I don't think she calls her Miss Torso, but she's saying that she empathizes with her because she's doing a woman's hardest job juggling wolves. <laughs> for some <laughs> reason, that. there's yeah, like three guys right. at her apartment yeah. and she's like a small studio apartment and there's three guys sitting in there at once, right. like all waiting to, to like have a chance with her. Which is crazy. <laughs> it's like husband leaves for the army and it's a good lesson. Well, I don't know if it's her husband. We you don't, don't know about that. Well, that's true. Her sweetheart. It's her sweetheart. That's fair. <laughs> so three guys are just like at her apartment. One of them like pulls her out onto Which like is- the little balcony he's trying to like get some smooches in and she's kind of like trying to pull away yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that she's up for this but well it was 1954 right. Matt. You, women weren't allowed to say no yeah. <laughs> if you invited yourself right. over it is hard to fight <laughs> off the wolves <laughs> this first interaction is the most interesting i think because all of the interactions after this tend to go in a different direction and are all yeah, leading yeah. towards something more positive but this first interaction between jeff and lisa there's so much tension. Well, yeah, it feels like it's leading to a breakup. Yeah, and he's pretty heartless. I mean, he's just flat out mean. Yeah, I mean, you kind of like get that though. Not abusive. You get to a certain point, and it's just like, all right. <laughs> no matter how kinda, right. beautiful a woman is, there's always some guy that's tired of her. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it almost makes him unlikable. I think so too. Early in the film, where you're just like, what? all right, well, if you don't want to be with her then just break up with her like i don't know what you're doing yeah like, I know. why are you being a dick about it he's basically like i want to go out and do my photographer adventure shit all over the world and you're too much of like a prissy <laughs> you know chick and you can't handle it and like you would like, not be able to to deal with my lifestyle hey motherfucker <laughs> it's friday night the wolves are out there okay i got <laughs> options and I'm here with you, with your broke-ass leg. So they have kind of a big fight, and it seems like they're breaking up. And she's just, like, upset, and she's leaving. I don't know. And by the way, his anger feels like it comes out of nowhere here. <laughs> she's like, I don't know when I'll see you again. And he's like, is this goodbye forever? And she's like, yeah, at right. least until tomorrow night. And you're like, oh, no. And it feels like, oh, this is like a familiar routine that they do this all the time. Because when she first swoops in with this angelic first appearance, it's not only her, but she brings all this fancy food that's like from a nice restaurant. She's cooking it up in the kitchen and all this stuff. It's almost like this guy is like living a dream life. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he doesn't do anything. He sits in his apartment all day. You got one kind of 
maternal type figure showing up, giving him massages and <laughs> taking care of him. And then you have this babe coming in, bringing food, yeah. you know, bringing that ass. <laughs> so that's it. You won't stay here and I can't go with you. It would be the wrong thing. You don't think either one of us could ever change? Right now, it doesn't seem so. I'm in love with you. I don't care what you do for a living. I'd just like to be part of it somehow. It's deflating to find out the only way I can be part of it is to take out a subscription to your magazine. I guess I'm not the girl I thought I was. Now, there's nothing wrong with you, Lisa. You've got this town on the palm of your hand. Not quite, it seems. Goodbye, Jeff. Well, you mean good night. I mean what I said. Well, well, Lisa, couldn't we just, uh, couldn't we just keep things status quo? Without any future? Well, when am I going to see you again? Not for a long time. At least, not until tomorrow night. Shortly thereafter, there's the night of the thunderstorm. We alluded to it with the couple pulling the mattress off the balcony and all that stuff. And Jeff is in and out of sleep all night. Right. Earlier in the evening, like, I, I mean, I don't know what time exactly, but at some point earlier in the night, he hears some woman's voice scream, don't, and then some glass breaks. And I'd be like, I think I'm going to shut my window. For whatever reason, they don't really make it clear where this is originating from. I guess he can't tell. Because usually yeah. when something happens, anything. The camera zooms in. Yeah, like we know what direction it's coming from. So I don't know if he's like coming out of sleep and he's just not sure where that came from or he, or that's the one time fucking Thorwald had his lights off in the whole goddamn True. movie. Yeah. I don't know. But we don't actually see where it comes from. Then there's this thunderstorm. Jeff has this annoying habit, at least to Stella, of sleeping in his wheelchair or whatever that is Yeah, by the window. And this kind of reminds me of what would be my version of just falling asleep on the couch watching TV. Yeah. You know? He's falling asleep in front of the window and waking up. Yes. So he th- sees Thorwald his neighbor across the courtyard, leave his apartment and return several times throughout the night, each time carrying his sample case, because as I mentioned, Thorwald is a jewelry salesman. He has this big sample case. Yeah. At one point, Thorwald leaves the building with a woman, but you never actually see the woman. Yeah. But Jeff is asleep during that part. Okay. And I guess the implication is... So most of it's through his perspective, but there is things There is the part where he's asleep and he misses that moment, because then that gets alluded to later with Doyle, when Doyle does some asking around. I'm guessing that's the woman he was having an affair with or something? Could be. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, it's never really explained. Which I guess is the motive that sets all this in motion? That and the nagging. Yeah, which, yeah, (laughs) you understand. (laughs) One can only take so much. The next morning... Jeff realizes through his watching out the window that Thorwald's wife is nowhere to be found because usually he can observe everything going on through all the windows and the one thing that we saw of Thorwald and his wife was that Thorwald would go back to that bedroom where his wife was bedridden. They would get into it, (laughs) fighting, yelling at each other. 
and he notices that Thorwald comes home and is home but never goes back into that back room. All of a sudden, all activity back there ceases, which is not what he was observing originally. Okay. <laughs> Suspicions rising here. So the obsession grows. Since Jeff is a photographer, he uses a camera lens to see into Thorwald's apartment better. He sees him wrapping a knife and a saw this is in almost newspaper after cleaning them. A bit much. <laughs> this is a bit... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. know. I get it, though, because there has to be the thing that really pushes him over the edge. Yeah, okay. I'm on board. And so the idea, obviously, that we're going to form over time is that Thorwald murdered his wife and then cut up her body to yes. dispose of it right. easier. Which is pretty gruesome, and I mean, we'll get into this maybe more as we go, but it's interesting how back then, when you couldn't really get away with stuff, you had to like dance around it, yeah. and in a way that makes it even wilder, because you're just True. like, they're implying such horrible things, but they're just not saying it, which is weirder. Okay, so they're basically saying, he chopped this bitch up and <laughs> took her all over the city. Yeah. It jumps out at you because the movie's so chaste, yeah. and it's so like non-sexual non-violent you don't see anything is it the wood chipper from fargo (laughs) thorwald stays home from work he refuses to go in his wife's room as i said so jeff's formulating this idea he shares the ideas with his nurse stella and with lisa who of course has returned (laughs) after their fight as if it's interesting too how they foregone conclusion where they don't even really reference their fight and that is what makes you think this is so common that these things happen. Yeah, I get that though. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't want to talk about They've it. They've hit this wall where she's a proper lady in society who wants to get married, and he, for whatever reason, is having it's a like, hard no, time. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you Somehow. are too good looking, right, <laughs> to get married to. I get it. That's a lot to take what on. What a drag yeah. <laughs> that would be for me. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? hell my life would be (laughs) well he's used to just going out there having a time and fucking all kinds of chicks all over the world right (laughs) why else do you think he didn't get married yet in his fucking mid 40s (laughs) (laughs) mid 40s kind of going on 60 though i don't know what we're supposed to make in a pre just for men era of their age difference i don't think we're supposed to think he's he's that much older than her as he actually was at the time she okay. was like 25 or yeah. something, and he was like 40-something. I forget what it was exactly, okay, but he so was like a good 20 years or so older. Not much. I think he was 21 years older than her, actually. Uh, not much about relationships in Hollywood has changed as far as how they're portrayed on film. That's true, although I do think now a 21-year age difference would definitely be noted. Raise eyebrows. Yeah, people would be upset about it. We now, don't like, like this. today. Yeah. But- I'm wondering, for the sake of the movie, if we're not supposed to think that they're closer in age. Like, if we're supposed to just ignore that. I think we are. Yeah, I do too, which is weird. (laughs) Because, (laughs) as you point out, they weren't as good at making people look younger back then. True. It's not like... There there was no de-aging going on. It wasn't like the Tom Cruise Top Gun Maverick thing, (laughs) where we're like, well... You know, he still looks like he's 35. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can't be dating Kelly McGillis. That's his fucking grandmother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't look right. Yeah. 
initially lisa and stella are just like no shut up get out of here but lisa does like almost an immediate 180 when she sees that giant trunk tied with the rope which i was trying to figure out like the physics here was he lifting that i mean i don't know and it's the idea that like he's got a bunch of body parts in there and he's carrying this thing (laughs) that's what i mean like the not knowing exactly what they're going for makes it seem even more gruesome yeah because they're like you know, I, every now and then Stella, of course, has to be the one who is the most blunt, and she'll be like, "Well, I guess he sawed her up in the bathtub, and there's <laughs> blood everywhere." And and Lisa will be like, "Stella, <laughs> how could you say that?" And they're like, "Well, we're all thinking it," and then it's like, "Yeah, we are." It's like, what are the logistics of this murder? But I do love how they like hone in on Lisa's like expression. Yeah, when when she's seeing the crate, she's like, "Shut up, Jeff!" Like. <laughs> grow up you're making things up and then she sees this crate and it's like holy shit he's right that also is kind of an interesting product of its time i think too is that it's almost just assumed that you can present a character who is not a bullshitter so you're just like well jeff said all those other things so that's a given that those are true right Okay. So she's like, all right, yeah, those things are true, but that doesn't necessarily mean a murder because she didn't yeah. see them with her own eyes, and it's like she's not processing it that way. But then she sees the trunk. So the trunk combined with what Jeff has I get said it. because that's given as true. Well, which she, I don't know if they would do that now because now people are, like, sarcastic or liars. Well, that's the thing. She liars. was <laughs> considering him a bullshitter with all of this, yeah, I'm not really that into you. But then when she saw the crate, she realized everything was true. <laughs> Yeah. So now, completely convinced that a murder has taken place, Jeff calls a friend, Tim Doyle, a New York City police detective, to get him involved. And Doyle, of course, how is uninterested skeptical. in doing his job is Doyle. Well, <laughs> to be fair, I think Jeff's calling. What him on is the he supposed hours. to? I know. I get it. Yeah, I'm with you. He's supposed to be skeptical. Right, and it's kind of a, a hard position to be put in because you're not really being presented with actual evidence. Right. You're just saying, and you not even a, an eyewitness to the crime, just I witnessed some suspicious behavior. I think you need to look into this guy. Yeah, I mean, you do question the fact that, like, okay, so say today or tonight, if I open my okay glass yeah. door and I hear we could a have scream. Like a rear window situation. Well, say I hear a scream. I don't even know where it's coming from. But I call the police and I say, like, I overheard, like, a a scream. It sounded like something bad was happening or something. I mean, I would expect that somebody would at least have to look into it a little bit. Yeah. And so if he's saying to Doyle, like, oh, I heard this scream and then glass broke. I mean, granted, he doesn't call right away. You know what I don't <laughs> like? A sliding glass door on, like, the first floor of any living situation. Oh, yeah. You know Definitely what I mean? Definitely not a fan. I feel like that's just not a good thing to have. Yeah, it's creepy. What if you heard a scream and you're just like, all right, I just need to like make sure I'm locked in here pretty good. <laughs> you just cover your ears. <laughs> Close your eyes. Next thing that happens is a neighborhood dog starts poking around in Thorwald's little sliver of a garden that oh, he boy. has going on. I thought the, like the yard that pesky dog situation and the courtyard situation was all kind of confusing. And then at the end, you find out there's like an area that's like lower that they have to like right. climb up over to get in. You, like <laughs> know, that perspective strange, yeah. you never even saw until right. the end of the movie. I mean, for people listening this to this right now, bizarre, it's yeah. probably hard to explain this. But yeah, so there's a dog. It's actually that couple that had the mattress because they do this thing where they lower the dog in a basket, and the bas- and then the dog will do whatever it does, and then 
well, they this- can call it back and it'll get into the basket and then they'll lift it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like how do this you train courtyard the dog is to like do this? Uh, Buffalo Bill's basement, yeah, that little basket. So the dog's digging around, which makes Stella and Lisa and Jeff think like, oh, he must have buried something in there. And then conveniently, Jeff has like two pictures of this garden where the flowers are different heights. Yeah, this is strange. I've seen the the movie a few times, and every time they do that thing of flashing back between the two pictures, I'm like, I still don't really see a difference between the pictures. Yeah. It seemed One like the flowers like moved a little bit, right. but like not. In they're acting height. like it's such a noticeable oh, yeah. difference in height. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe, did it grow at some point, or it seemed like a naturally occurring thing could have happened to this make the whole flowers thing with a the different pictures height. of the flowers. This is before the whole when the dog incident goes down. After the dog is digging around there, and they right. get suspicious of oh, what yeah, must okay. be going right. on there. So Doyle does some asking around, at least, and he's told by some witnesses that Mrs. Thorwald was put on a train heading upstate okay we don't know what that means the idea is that she left that very right right now this cuts back to when we saw thorwald leaving with a woman but jeff was asleep yeah so this puts doubt into the audience's mind as well well maybe jeff doesn't know what he's talking about right because we didn't see a murder we don't know what's going on he's just a nice guy who put his wife on a train shipping her upstate and then wraps some saws and knives (laughs) up in paper for some reason (laughs) i don't know acquired a giant trunk a postcard seems to confirm that Anna Thorwald, Lars Thorwald's wife, is alive and in Merrittsville. Okay, this seems like an alibi. This may be enough for Doyle, but Jeff isn't buying it. Maybe you were counting on the postcard to be your alibi. <laughs> Nick Curran. I just think if I was Jeff, knowing me, I'd be like, all right, well, I already invested like too much time in this. I'm moving on with my life now. <laughs> He's Especially got time. after Doyle is like shutting it down, I'd be like, eh, all right. It was worth a shot. I gotta think of more reasons to hate Lisa. <laughs> She's too rich. <laughs> yeah. That is tough to deal with. Jeff later observes Thorwald packing to leave. He also notices Thorwald in possession of a ring that Jeff believes is Mrs. Thorwald's wedding ring. This becomes like a big thing. It's like, well, I think this is her wedding ring, but I don't know. Yep. Lisa's like, there's no way that a woman would leave her wedding ring behind and then go to Merrittsville. That just wouldn't happen. Lisa's knowledge of women, quote unquote, <laughs> okay. rebuts Doyle's theory. Yeah. This sequence where Doyle is there and Lisa's there and Lisa's saying all of these things to basically stick up for Jeff's theory and she's doing her own critical thinking and amateur sleuthing and all this stuff. This is starting to get Jeff Hard as a rock. Going a little bit. I think so too, yeah. You can see, like, they'll cut to him and his expressions and him watching her. And this is the whole idea of him, like, falling in love with this other version of her that he didn't know existed. Yeah. This more adventurous, ambitious version of Lisa. This might seem, like, way off the wall, but this whole thing was really reminding me of Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern in Blue Velvet when they're fucking launching their own yeah. investigative campaign and like how into it he is you know yeah yeah i i definitely could see some similarities okay there. all right yeah i mean obviously it's not a one for one sure but yeah, yeah there's right. definitely like some similar ideas at play and his enthusiasm for this yes growing on in her. particular yes yeah this is where she packs those I don't know, are they pajamas? I don't even know what, sh- what they are, like night clothes of some kind. And she's like, well, I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. And 
it's such a, like a scandalous right. thing that what if the neighbors see Doyle it? keeps looking at it when he shows up her suitcase with the clothes oh, as boy. if like yeah. it's so unbelievable. <laughs> Is there some sort of cohabitating going on here? Are you participating in sexual congress with this woman out of wedlock? <laughs> Arrested. <laughs> Shot. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is one of the number one chicks in the city. I mean, she has to be protected. Her, that's right. That's her true. name yeah. can't be besmirched. After the situation with Doyle where he seemingly has an explanation for everything that they're throwing at him, they have this brief discussion, Lisa and Jeff, after Doyle leaves, about rear window ethics, this whole thing about okay, yeah. well, who, what kind of people are we that we're like hoping for a murder at this point? Or shouldn't we be happy that there's an explanation for right, these right. things? And, and I love that part where she refers to them as like the two biggest ghouls. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I always wanted to take that clip and apply it to us. Right, yes. Like the two biggest ghouls that on will the be planet. A, a, whenever we start like our fourth or fifth spinoff of this show, <laughs> that'll be a clip used in the opening. You know, much as I hate to give Thomas J. Doyle too much credit, he might have gotten a hold of something when he said that was pretty private stuff going on out there. I wonder if it's ethical to watch a man with binoculars and a long focus lens. Do you you suppose it's ethical even if you prove that he didn't commit a crime? I'm not much on rear window ethics. Of course, they can do the same thing to me. Watch me like a bug under a glass if they want to. Jeff, you know, if someone came in here, they wouldn't believe with it. See? What? You and me with long faces plunged into despair because we find out a man didn't kill his wife. We're two of the most frightening ghouls I've ever known. You'd think we could be a little bit happy that the poor woman is alive and well. Whatever happened to that old saying, love thy neighbor? You know, I think I'll start reviving that tomorrow. Yeah. I'll begin with Miss Torso. Not if I have to move into an apartment across the way and do the dance of the seven veils every hour. Show's over for tonight. Soon after this encounter with Doyle, which doesn't completely convince them, Maybe more so Lisa than Jeff, but who knows? I mean, it, it's like, well, we've hit a stalemate. Doyle's wrong. He stinks as a cop. Right, but what what more can they do? No. It, it's almost like everything has kind of frozen in time because they feel one way, but Doyle has explanations and the police aren't really looking into it. Jeff obviously is in a wheelchair with a big leg cast on. What, what more could happen? Yeah. Well, the Luckily, dog... It's murdered. Yes, true. <laughs> In almost a single white female fashion. Word neighbor. Neighbors like each 
each other, speak to each other, care if anybody lives or dies, but none of you do. <laughs> but I couldn't imagine any of you being so low that you'd kill a little helpless, friendly dog. <laughs> the only thing in this whole neighborhood who liked anybody. <laughs> Did you kill him because he liked you? Just because he liked you? For a minute, that Tom Doyle almost had me convinced I was wrong. But you're not. Look, in the whole courtyard, only one person didn't come to the window. Look. Why would Thorwald want to kill a little dog? Because it knew too much? The neighbor's dog is found with its neck broken. The dog's owner yells out into the courtyard, bemoaning the lack of empathy from her neighbors. All the neighbors visible from Jeff's window run to their own windows to see what is happening, except for Thorwald, whose cigar can be seen glowing as he sits quietly <laughs> in, in his celebration. Dark apartment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he doesn't need to come look because he knows what happened, yeah. whereas the other neighbors are all in shock. Okay. So, How great would it be if it was, the twist was like Miss Torso killed the dog right. and she was like a psycho? <laughs> yeah. But I think we're all convinced at this point, right? This is our guy. Yeah. For a while, it'll play where we're kind of tipping back and forth the balance of like, well, is Jeff onto something here or not? I mean, you would assume based off of the fact that it's a Hitchcock film and yes, something yes, needs yes. to have happened that we're he, expecting a murder. Yeah, probably is the case, but this seems to confirm it. So now Stella, too, is on board. She can no longer really <laughs> right. deny it now after the dog. There's some funny exchanges where she's, like I said, being more blunt about yes. what actually must have happened. I do love this trio now investigating this crime. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, like, the gruesome subject matter combined with the hints of sexuality, the stuff with Miss Torso, et cetera, et cetera, some of, like, the little jokes and bits of dialogue. It, it definitely is a bit more risque than you would think oh, yeah. for a movie that's older than my parents for sure <laughs> i mean this is like an old movie it's 65 years I old i know that is crazy they're all convinced that Thorwald killed the dog because it was digging around in the flower bed where something must have been buried so they come up with this brilliant plan which does seem you're in the middle of a courtyard a lot of activity at these windows these balconies yeah. There's people sleeping on one of the balconies. You're going to dig up this flower bed in the middle of the courtyard and put a body there, or a part of a body? Do they even reveal specifically what was in the flower bed? I know I that know. at the end they're like, oh. well, he moved it Yeah. after the dog. Right. But they, I don't know if they even say what it is. There's no way it was her whole body. No, no, because they right. even talk about the legit. They would have yeah, had yeah. to have buried her standing upright. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't enough room any other way, because it was like, one foot by one foot or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It was some little area. So this plan that they come up with, I guess it's more like Jeff freestyling here. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to write a note. 
So oh, he writes boy, this Jeff. note that says, what have you done with her? And Lisa goes over. <laughs> I know what you did last summer, exclamation point. <laughs> well, it's like, what have you done with her? Exclamation point, question mark. <laughs> Lisa goes over and slides into Thorwald's door. And this is the first time where we really feel that helplessness as the voyeur, a total loss of control. Because yeah, I wasn't really expecting there's that this moment part. where she runs down the hall and then Thorwald comes to the door and you're like, Oh man, she almost gets caught and then right. she's hiding under the balcony in one way and then he's looking over and then she goes back the other way. And Jeff can't do anything. He can't yell out because that would alert Thorwald. Well, he's certainly to her not presence. mobile at this point. Yeah, and he's not gonna be able to like physically be able to do anything. And this is a whole new side to Lisa, and this change that has been going on with Jeff because of her involvement in this is now very apparent. He's scared for her, but he's also probably more into her now than he ever was before. He's seeing her in a whole new light. Yeah. Then, as a pretext to get Thorwald out of his apartment, Jeff telephones him and arranges a meeting at a nearby bar. Okay. So he's like, did you get my note? (laughs) Right. Go on, pick it up, Thorwald. Go on, you're curious. Go on, you wonder if it's your girlfriend calling the one you killed for. Go on, pick it up. Hello? Did you get my note? Well, did you get it, Thorwald? I'll give you a chance to find out. Meet me in the bar at the Albert Hotel. Do it right away. Why should I? Little business meeting. To settle the estate of your late wife. I... I don't know what you mean. Come on, quit stalling, Thorwall, or I'll hang up and call the police. I have only a hundred dollars or so. That's a start. I'm at the Albert now. I'll be looking for you. It is starting to get a little crazy here. With Thorwald gone, briefly, Lisa and Stella dig up yeah, the flowers. Yeah, do you think, how far away was this bar, do you think? I feel like it could have made it a little bit further uptown. Yeah, it's almost like the way that they f- do this. Okay, so Lisa and Stella go dig up the flowers, and they find nothing while Thorwald's gone. And they're like, okay. So initially they're disappointed at this, and then Lisa improvises and decides to climb the fire escape to Thorwald's apartment entering through an open window. And of course Jeff is freaking out. And Yeah, she's going rogue here. Yeah. He's like, "Honey, I was into it. I mean, I was yeah. into you already. You like, don't have to go this far." <laughs> this was but not yeah, part of the plan. The amount of time because this is all pretty much done in like real time. Yes. So the amount of time that Thorwald is actually like away Doesn't from his apartment is only like a couple of minutes. I forgot his keys. You're wondering if the implication is that Thorwald sees through the ruse to get him away from his apartment. Is that possible? Maybe. Does he think maybe this is too suspicious? I should not leave my apartment. Yeah, I feel like I I wouldn't. Yeah, I I don't know. If you killed your wife secretly and then 
Yeah, you get this sort of note. Yeah, and so you're like, how how is this possible? So the, obviously you would be freaking out. That I'd somebody be like, knew. it's the cops, even <laughs> though there's like no sting operation that would ever work this way. <laughs> now with Lisa in Thorwald's apartment, Jeff's freaking out. He's watching through his camera lens, and the plan is to call Thorwald's apartment to let her know. Yes, but then simultaneously, and this sets up like the moral questions about interfering with everybody's lives it's like he they're also distracted because miss lonely hearts this sad single woman that's gone through a lot throughout the film she's like potentially committing suicide right now right and he doesn't know what to do and then he's on the phone with the cops and so he's like okay well the only thing i can do is try to call the police and have them show up yeah and get her arrested for being in his apartment (laughs) Because that might be the only way out. Because Thorwald returns. Lisa's trapped inside his apartment. Yeah, he does. Uh, it gets physical. Yeah, like at first she's kind of like hiding. The way they set this up is so great too, because you can see into the different rooms, but there's that blind spot, right, where you can't see what's happening. So then this is really cool shot. She hides in in the far room, and then he comes into the first room. She's not in there. He doesn't. So then he goes back to the bedroom. And at first, he seemingly goes through the door, and he's facing the other end of the room like he doesn't see her or anything. And so you don't know where she is or what she's doing, but then he turns around, and then all of a sudden, she's backing into that first room, and you realize that she's backing away from him because he's now seen her, and then he's following her in the other room. By the way, kind of an odd-looking dude. Yeah, like a big, burly-looking guy. He was in, like, other stuff. Okay. I didn't know too many actors around this time period, other than our leads. I think he's in, like, Godzilla 1985. Okay. Which would have been, like, 30 years later, but... Wow. I think. He seems kind of old in this. <laughs> People just seemed older. That's true. I mean, even saying, like, Grace I, Kelly's only 25, I mean, she, yeah, she's she, super attractive, but she was basically a grandmother believe at that, that she point. was, like, 30 right. or 35 okay, easily. Yeah. People didn't seem as young. That's true. I don't know. It's just the way things were. You're right. <laughs> I don't know. I might be confusing him with someone else. Maybe he wasn't in Godzilla. 1985. <laughs> I hope he was. You're usually good about these things. But sometimes you're wildly off, too. <laughs> Occasionally. I was really going crazy over that oh, uh, yeah. girl who was in Good Boys, and then I figured it right. out that she was from a commercial. <laughs> you know what's crazy about that commercial? That commercial feels like it's a decade old. Oh, I know. She almost I'm like, seemed how old younger. is that girl? She almost seemed younger in Good Boys than in that commercial, too. I confirmed it was her, too. Oh, it was her. Yeah. So Jeff, already on the phone with the police, he reports an assault, so they'll show up. The cops do get there in, like, record time, which is a little bit hard It is to shocking. New York City. They must be right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thorwald grabs Lisa and shuts off the light, preventing Jeff and Stella, and of course the audience, from being able to see what's happening, which of course escalates the drama of this scene. Yeah. The police are able to arrive and rescue Lisa, essentially by arresting her. Okay. But as that's all like playing out in the apartment across the courtyard, she signals to Jeff that she has Mrs. Thorwald's wedding ring. So this is confirming the theory that the wedding ring was still there. She's actually put it on her hand. So she puts her hands behind her back. And points to her ring finger. Yes. And is very blatant about it. So much to the point that, you know, <laughs> our villain happens to notice. Yeah. I think the significance of this, though, is that in this movie and with 
these characters in this situation, right? This is as good as proof. This yeah, is the I'm confirmation. Good. I'm now. on board. They're just like wedding ring in the apartment equals murder. No more questions. Yep, it's this over. is our guy. As you said, Thorwald notices Lisa doing this, even though there was never any other options, and realizes that she is signaling to someone. So finally, he looks up to see Jeff watching through his window, right through the fucking camera. Bright lights coming out of the apartment, <laughs> like oh, illuminated. Nobody's ever looked over there. Meanwhile, Jeff spends his day and night looking <laughs> out that window, yeah. but no one looks the other way. He's like, Stella, shut the light off. Yeah, I mean, they do make a couple of comments earlier about why would this guy murder his wife and leave all of his windows open? It doesn't make any sense. Why, you know, the lights <laughs> know. are on, the windows are open. Why would he be doing all this stuff? And Fair they, points. They're like, well, because, it, it, you know, it makes him not suspicious. Like, why would anyone think that he would do it? Blah, blah, blah. So they kind of just explain that away. But, yeah, I mean, the reality is it's insane. He's just doing all <laughs> right. this stuff. Other than the actual act of murder, everything else, we see it. Kind of a not cool move here by Stella, because you're like, well, clearly we know that Thorwald guy saw yeah. Jeff, and we know Jeff is in a wheelchair with a broken leg, but She's Stella's like, like, I'm going to leave and yeah, go bail here. Lisa out of right. jail. They don't really have enough money, but <laughs> Stella's like, well, when the police get a look at her, they'll all be contributing. <laughs> Which is funny because now I think the joke would be the opposite. Like they would want to keep her in jail, but right. this is like she's such a a beauty and a great person, and blah. blah, blah. They're all gonna like be contributing yes, to the yes, fund yes. to get her right. out of jail. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would be. He calls Doyle. If there was a Kickstarter, I'd be a contributor. Yeah, it depends on what side I was. I mean, if I was one of the cops that had to like work overnight, I'd, I'd be still... like, well, I don't have a problem with her being here. No, I'd be like, she's got to get out of here. I can't. Be around her. It's just too. <laughs> it's too depressing. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> you'd pull like a Jeffrey Epstein. You'd be like hanging yourself. <laughs> oh no! In yeah. the jail cell. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, it's the prisoner, right, that commits suicide <laughs> <laughs> right after she gets bail and is gone. Yeah, you're just, just like, like hang yourself. <laughs> getting a hotel room etching. Matt was here into the ceiling, <laughs> kicking the stool out just because. Lisa was in jail right. for 10 minutes. Yeah. So Doyle wasn't involved in Lisa's arrest, but he's out on the town. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but Jeff's trying to get a hold of him. He finally talks to him in this urgent conversation, and he finally seems to win him over with all of this explanation. Because, again, <laughs> the wedding ring is proof. He's like, <laughs> well, Lisa went over there and got the wedding ring. So it was really clearly, being pretty emphatic when she was waving it around. After speaking with Doyle, Jeff's phone rings again. Assuming it's Doyle calling back, Jeff says that the suspect has left the apartment. He's like, Thorwald's leaving. You got to hurry up. <laughs> but no one on the other end speaks. So Jeff realizes that it's Thorwald himself oh who's called. And this builds towards the big confrontation. Yeah. Thorwald Not a lot of comes time. over. <laughs> He's got to figure out what sort of Home Alone traps he can set in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, pretty fast thinking. I don't really know much about the cameras and the, the types of flash bulbs and stuff that we're using, but I mean, these flash bulbs are pretty blinding. Right. I like the way this is acted out, too, because, like, right before he takes the whatever he does with the flash, you know, to like make it go off, he like noticeably closes his eyes. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> well, they needed to make it clear. Right. But what you're was like, here? it's kind of funny. That, okay, I could see like Thorwald getting 
bamboozled by the first flash maybe even the second but by the continuously false yeah, for it's it. like the third or fourth one just cover your eyes you you know where he is in the room just cover your eyes and run towards him getting anywhere but it works a bunch of times eventually he does get to him there's like a struggle but doyle lisa a bunch of cops i guess <laughs> once they took lisa down to the police station all the cops were like well we're gonna just follow her wherever she goes everyone shows up all at once as Thorwald and Jeff are, like, fighting, Thorwald manages to, like, grab him out of the chair, and he's, like, lifting him up and pushing him out the open window. He's, like, hanging on. Some police manage to, like, run over to break his fall. Right. It's almost like a bizarre anticlimactic ending because Thorwald's just in the apartment. They don't shoot him because Jeff is, like, in the way. Jeff falls out of the window, but he doesn't really, like, hit full force. They somewhat manage to break it up. But all the cops are there, so he just confesses to everything kind of off camera. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, well, that's the end. <laughs> they got him. Yeah, the showdown kind of wraps up pretty quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. Once- I do think when Thorwald is like wrestling him to the windowsill, it's kind of a lot of unnatural motions being made between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't really remember. It's kind of like choppy the way it's all cut together pretty quick. There's some wrestling and like headlocks going on. Then all of a sudden, some general horseplay. Jeff is hanging from a windowsill. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And I do love these two guys willing to just rush over and catch Jeff as he well, falls I mean, from the Come on, protect and serve. Absolutely, that's their job. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Every time I see the movie, I forget that once Stella and Lisa go over and start digging up that garden, it's pretty much like one shot of everything well i don't mean like one camera shot but i mean like that sets off the chain of events that leads to basically the end of the movie there's no more that's it that's like all that night thorwald leaves he comes back lisa's in the apartment lisa gets arrested cell leaves thorwald comes over that's it it's like all plays out that's like a big chunk of one thing right and you kind of forget that when they first go over there just to dig up that garden you're like oh we're building now towards the end of the movie yeah Days later, the heat wave is now over. We once again pan across the whole courtyard. Things have returned. And everything's too. like settled into some sort of normalcy. That's right. This is when Miss Torso's uh, soldier boyfriend yes. comes back. The newlyweds who have been fucking with the blinds closed are now all of a sudden bickering like a married couple. <laughs> Miss Lonely Hearts has f- fallen for the composer upstairs. That's the, right. The piano yeah. Player. Those two were able to get it going. Because we kind of, you know, we brushed over some of the little side stories that Jeff witnesses and the whole thing with Miss Lonely Hearts, but she was about to kill herself with these pills and doesn't sure. because of the music that the guy was playing. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, you know, the sculptor is You never had this effect when thing. we were playing our Kapowski songs with the <laughs> windows open? It had the opposite effect. <laughs> yeah, people throwing rocks through the window. <laughs> throwing themselves in the traffic <laughs> yeah. i can't take it's it it's like throwing a brick with like a piece of paper rubber banded on it and like hit me in the head and you read it and just say kill yourself immediately yeah and the couple on the balcony who had the dog get killed they have a new dog they're trying to train to do the basket thing yeah still uh can't forget the old one though we pan into the apartment Jeff has two casts now because he's broken the other leg, <laughs> falling out of the window. This is just like extended summer vacation. Yeah. I, I mean, Stella, you got her locked up for a while, giving these massages. 
Lisa just gonna bring dinner over and yeah, stop Lisa's by every night. Reading that book about I forget like something the Himalayas or something. <laughs> right. And then as soon as she sees yeah. that Jeff falls asleep, she just switches over to that fashion magazine. Yeah, what are they trying to say here? That she's pretending to be interesting. <laughs> interesting. I don't know. That's I guess pretending to be worldly to me. It, I think it's just like a wink. Yeah, she's All not right. like. Pre- Okay. She's not pretending to be anything. Like the person that she was during the Thorwald thing is just a side of her that Jeff didn't know was there. Okay. I don't think it's I'm anything good. more like she's yeah. being devious. It's, no, no. She wants to still be that. she still has her own interests, I right. think. And she's just doing a little thing to appease Jeff, which again, yeah. I mean, is a little bit of a a wink kind of a joke that they probably wouldn't do now because it would probably be seen as like a sexist thing right. to be like why can't she like her own things? Exactly. Why does she have to do this? Or whatever? I love that every episode, I, I do enjoy that we have to say, if this came out today, this is how people would react. Well, I mean, I think that's important when you're talking about a movie that's 65 years I old. I agree, but it's more just like a commentary on how predictable everyone is, you know? <laughs> I know. You People just can't let anything right. just be a <laughs> thing. Know. Everything's got to be dissected to the point where it's not fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we definitely live in a culture of just ruining everything right (laughs) which it's like don't even get me started yeah i know and it is like one of those things where when you think about it it's like as if that's so bad it's like this harmless like just the idea of her like reading something so that she sees it or so he sees it and then when he's not looking i I mean come on as human beings we have all pretended yeah i know the truth of it is it's it, it is just like a harmless little gag right but I do think that people would probably. <laughs> I love that we're projecting it. outrage on people, that, but well, we just know. I'm well. I mean, think about it. If they were like announcing today that they were going to do a remake of Rear Window, that yeah, was people would be like, out. "Why? That misogynistic piece of shit." No, but I'm saying if it came out exactly like this, yeah, with the roles being the same and and the ideas and everything being the same, I mean, people would probably pick apart stuff like that. I All think. Right. I think so too. <laughs> I mean, we see what they pick apart on a daily basis. I told you, like, last night I couldn't even fall asleep after reading some tweets. I'm so (laughs) upset. I get so mad about everything. Yeah. I feel like we could fill your time a little bit better. I know. I gotta. We could find a way. I gotta learn how to calm down about some of this stuff. (laughs) It's just not even worth it Yeah, it's not good for you, man. Just wait till we do. I mean, I certainly have my own demons and issues, but I hate to see you struggle with this stuff. (laughs) Don't you understand? There are people on the internet who are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I have to fix this. Right. That's why we have a podcast. Just wait till we get to that movie next month that I was telling you about. That fun fact I was telling you about the poster of it today. Yes. Just wait till we do that movie. I'm going to fucking lose my mind. (laughs) In a weird way, it makes me want to do the movie even more. Okay. You know what I mean? I think so. All the stupid opinions. Yes. So anyway... I definitely think that I need to get serious about my Hitchcock viewing. I, I've i definitely seen too As few. do I. And it's been on my kind of to-do list for many years now. I mean, I can't. I don't even know how many I've seen, but it's not that many. I love Vertigo. I love Psycho. I love this. I did not like North by Northwest very much. Do you want to know what kind of gets like a hokey reputation, but I do still kind of like too? The birds. The birds. Yeah. Yeah. The birds is okay. I don't think it's scary no. <laughs> by any means. But it's it's definitely like his weirdest 
you movie know what that I I've seen. Really enjoy about it though, just the overall aesthetic of it, the setting, the you know, the location. Yeah. I, I think it's just a cool movie. That honestly might be the first Hitchcock movie I ever saw because I, I I saw that when I was like a little kid. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I saw. It probably it, but... seemed scary to me then. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this one. There's something about like the the small compact story and yeah. how it, it's a simple idea and it's just kind of built upon something that's very much a part of human nature. This like voyeuristic tendency that everyone I sure. think has a little bit of and everything that's going on in the actual like filmmaking just with the all the sights and sounds that they're using it, there's yeah. a lot going on it's weird because like we said it, it's all on this sound stage and it's not real apartments but it, it's all built like it's real because the right. people are all in them and yet they use all the naturalistic sounds like in other words, if the guy is playing the piano, it sounds like a guy playing a piano yeah, across a courtyard right. because that's what it is. So there's no like soundtrack to it. It's not like that comes later and they add it in. It's just literally a sound from across the courtyard or whatever. Did you notice the Hitchcock cameo that he always likes to do? I did. He was in the Early piano on. guy's yeah. apartment right. for some reason, winding the clock. Yeah. It's like who's this random man just winding? <laughs> well, I mean, your he clock? does have a pretty recognizable look. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that'll do it. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Wrap it up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. You know, get the word out there. Really slowing the pace down for the end of the show. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think if there's any announcements that need to be made. I mean, I, I just think we should probably keep it a little bit you're short. Like, right. You're looking the at massive. the time. And you're like, well, this isn't over two hours, so we got to try to talk slowly and make it longer. Just the very massive Pulp Fiction episodes give everyone a little bit of a break. Had to be done, though. We did it justice, I feel like. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if people can't. Maybe not quality of what we talked about, but <laughs> certainly length. If people can't listen to them all in one go, that's fine. You know, save it for a trip. <laughs> save it for a work day. I don't know. Take your time with it. Enjoy it. And obviously we wanted to hit a lot of topics, so we ranked the Tarantino movies and talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and all that other stuff. So that was a special thing for 150, which moved into 151 as well. Right. Now we're back on track. We're ramping up for Greatest October. Wow. In a bit. It's all happening. Yeah. So thank you for listening.
one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is? What? Top Gun. Oh, come on. Top Gun is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? Yeah, it's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's it. That is what Top Gun is about, man. You've got Maverick, all right? He's on the edge, man. He's right on the fucking line, all right? And you've got Iceman and all his crew. Right. They're gay. And they, are, they represent the gay man, right. all right? And they're saying, go. Go the gay way. Go the gay way. He could go both ways. What about Kelly McGillis? Right? Kelly McGill, she's, she's, she's heterosexuality. She's saying, no, 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 no. Go the normal way. Play by the rules. Go the normal way. And they're saying, no, go the gay way. Be the gay way. Go for the gay way. All right? That is what's going on throughout that whole movie. He goes to her house, right? All right? It looks like they're going to have sex. You know, they're just kind of sitting back. He's taking a shower and everything. They don't have sex. He gets on the motorcycle, drives away. She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on here? Right. Next scene. Next scene you see her, she's in the elevator, she is dressed like a guy. She's got the, the cap on, she's got the aviator glasses, she's wearing the same jacket that the Iceman wears. She is, okay, this is how I gotta get this guy. This guy's going towards the gateway. So I gotta bring him back, I gotta bring him back from the gateway. So I'm gonna do that through subterfuge, I'm gonna dress like a man, <laughs> alright? That is how she, she, she approaches it. Right. Okay. But the real ending of the movie is when they fight the medics at the end. All right, because he has passed over into the gayway. They are this gay fighting fucking force, all right? And they're beating the Russians. The gays are beating the Russians, all right? And it's over, and they fucking land. And Iceman's been trying to get Maverick the entire time. Finally, he's got him, all right? And what is the last fucking line that they have together? They're all hugging and kissing and happy with each other. And Ice comes up to Maverick, and he says, Man, and you can ride my tail! It is time! And what does Maverick say? You can ride my sword fight! Sword fight! Sword fight! Fucking it, man! two of the most frightening ghouls I've ever known.